0: Celebrating reading, writing, and creating literature. I'm your host, Kai. Thank you for listening. My guest this month is author Kerry Sackville. I'm very excited, we had a great chat. I'm really looking forward to having a listen. Kerry Sackville is an Australian writer. She's currently a regular columnist for Sunday Life magazine, Sydney Morning Herald and Melbourne Age. Over the years, Kerry has appeared frequently on commercial and ABC radio networks, podcasts and TV shows, including Sunrise, The Morning Show and The Daily Edition. Kerry is the author of four books, The Life-Changing Magic of a Little Bit of Mess, out There, A Survival Guide for Dating in Midlife, The Little Book of Anxiety, Confessions from a Worried Life, When My Husband Does the Dishes, A Memoir of Marriage and Motherhood. She's also contributed to three anthologies, Split, True Stories of Leaving, Loss and New Beginnings, Hashtag Me Too, Stories from the Australian Movement, Mother Morphosis, Australian Storytellers Write About Becoming a Mother. Kerry lives in Sydney's eastern suburbs with her three kids and a recalcitrant cat, enjoys lying very still on the couch. I hope you enjoy our chat. Kerry <music> Sackville, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, so nice to be with you.
0: I'm really super excited to chat to you about your latest book, The Life-Changing Magic of a Little Bit of Mess. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank Tell you, me I'm, all about I'm actually getting, I'm getting messages from people telling me that it's actually changed their life and you know I really just intended to write it, I mean yes to kind of spread the message of domestic imperfection but also just to make people laugh and so the fact that it's really resonating and, and actually helping people to kind of let go of, of their very, very high standards is very nice and a bit surprising, um, it's great, yeah I really wanted just to write something really funny. And make people laugh, and and I think I'm I'm kind of on the side starting a minor revolution. So that's
0: that's. I'm on board, nice lady. To know. I'm on board because <laughs> <laughs> there has been a bit of a movement, um, yeah, to find those things that spark joy. Um, yes. Without naming names. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, yes. And for someone like me, like I I work full time. I have two sons with special needs. I'm writing and podcasting. Um, life is very, very busy and there's so many um, domestic goddesses out there that are in the same situation. You know, we're we're busy people. Like, we need to, like, bring the stress down a little bit. So um, I'm like, yes.
1: God, yeah. I mean, the the way this book actually came to be is that I was sent a copy of a book during lockdown last year. So, So quite, I think, about middle of the year. And you know as as a writer i'm often sent books, and this one was really fascinating because it was about something I knew very little about, which was cleaning <laughs>
0: I'm not uh-huh.
1: someone who knew much about cleaning and seriously it was it was a book on cleaning and it contained all sorts of tips and tricks on how to clean your house and and how to schedule cleaning and and you know what potions to use in in different areas of the house and how to make your own cleaning cleaning. Um, potions and and they were all of course like vinegar and bicarb because that's what all the homemade homemade cleaning products are um, and what special um, equipment you need and this Turbomax charger and that steam mop and it was all about how to how to clean every single area of your home and and how to get stains out of anything and I was just thinking you know what we're living through a pandemic um, we had floods we had fires Um, now this year obviously we're facing war in Eastern Europe like life is really really hard a lot of people are really struggling do we really need to keep a pristine house on top of all of this like on top of all the pressures on women to keep everything going and you know not just with the house I mean uh, we're required to be perfect in like every area area of our life we're meant to be perfect parents and perfect partners and we're meant to have perfect faces even as we age and and of course perfect bodies and and just be generally together and and happy and grateful, and I was like, "Nah, no,
0: it's too well, Fail, fail. not yeah. <laughs> meeting any of those. Um, no. The standards of being a, a woman—if um, you hold yourself up to those, yeah, like it's hard work to try and meet, be a ten out of ten for everything.
1: Oh god, gotcha. and social media just makes it so much harder because, yeah, back in in oh twenty years ago, thirty years ago, if you had a, a beautiful, clean, neat, tidy, pristine, perfectly arranged and accessorized home, people would come and they'd see and, and, you know, they might praise you on your nice home and then they go to their own messy homes and and don't think about it again. But these days, everything's on social media. So, I, I did a bit of a deep dive into the whole cleaning and tidying and decluttering industry and I mean, there are literally Instagram accounts full of aspirational pantries where everything mm-hmm. is decanted into mason jars with beautifully calligraphic labels and, and you know, walkthroughs of people's homes and, and their cleaning schedules and routines and the beautiful children's rooms. And it's just so much pressure on top of all the other pressure. And I just want to say, like, it's okay to be imperfect. We don't I need, need to, to be perfect. We don't need perfect lives. We don't need perfect bodies. We don't need perfect relationships. And we certainly don't need perfect houses. You know, there are some things that need to be perfect. You know, like, like when I'm in an airplane, I really want the plane to be perfect. <laughs> I want the pilot to do a perfect job. Um, I really like my gin and tonic to be perfect at the end of, of a hard day. I just want the mix just right because mm-hmm. I like to enjoy it. But honestly, if there's like a little bit of dust on my skirting boards, nobody is going to care, including me.
0: My husband and I are opposites, um, so I might have to share some of those aspirational pantries with him. Um, he'll love it. Um, whereas I'm like watching hoarders. Um, oh, I love it. And, and that he sure. cringes and I'm like, oh, I'm just so terrified that's going to be me one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How far away am I from being a hoarder? <laughs>
1: oh, I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you're fine. If you can actually move through your lounge room, then you're, you're probably okay.
0: Nobody's been injured yet, so we're fine. Yeah.
1: Excellent. No avalanche.
0: So the topics that you write about in your books and in your um, columns that you write, they, they really aimed and resonate with women especially. What, what sort of response do you get from your, your readers about your work?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, it, it's funny. I generally write – I feel like I write for women – Um, Obviously, I'm I'm a woman. I am a feminist. I like to write about women's issues. I'm also incredibly interested in relationships um, and, you know, parenting. And, and, um, you know, I wrote a lot about marriage when I was married and I wrote a lot about dating when I was dating. And and that's the kind of thing that interests me. But it it always surprises me that I get a lot of response from men as well. And I I, I, I think I give them maybe a little bit of an insight into how women think and and what's important to us Um, it's funny how there is yeah quite a a decent male audience that that kind of work as well Um, but I get uh, you know with with social media my career pretty much started with social media Um, I started my career I had had two sort of different starts to my career I actually started initially when my um, second child was born so she's now 20 she's about to turn 21 Mm -hmm. so when she was about 18 months I sent off I just started sending off um, unsolicited columns to um, the City Morning Herald which at the time had um, a, a section on the back called Heckler which was 750 words and it was open to the public and you could just write about whatever you wanted and I started sending off a lot of Heckler's um, and getting getting them published and from that I got columns in little community papers and parenting magazines and then when I had my third child, um, my sister died just um, before my third child was born and I had 18 months where I gave up all my writing. I honestly never thought I'd write again. I just had oh, complete wow. writer's block. I just couldn't, couldn't pick up the computer oh. um, and then when she was about eighteen months, when my youngest was about eighteen months, and she's now fourteen, I actually went onto Twitter. I'd read about this platform, Twitter, and it sounded really interesting, and I started tweeting. And at the time, you know, the tweets were one hundred and forty characters, um, and it was Flash it was a really Yeah, exactly, and it was a really great way to I, I felt to get my mojo back um, and start. You know, just writing these these very short, kind of pithy tweets, and from there people started responding to my tweets. And it was also at a time when Twitter was kind of in its infancy, and I think it was much easier for people to get noticed on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And people were asking if I had a blog, and I I didn't even know what a blog was, but then I I thought why not give it a go? So I started blogging, and the blog got some attention, and from that the rest followed. So from that I got an agent, and I wrote a book, and then another, and and then I got columns in major publications. So, that's a very long winded way of saying my whole career has been about, I guess, a very immediate interaction with readers. Mm. So, from the very beginning, it was about the responses I was getting to my tweets, and then it was the responses I was getting to my blogs. And then when I started writing columns, you know, I was always putting it on social media, and it's such an immediate response. And the difference between that kind of writing and writing books is that when you write a column, or, you know, back in the day when I was doing blogging i don't i don't have my blog anymore but when i was still blogging and it's similar to writing a column you write something that might be you know it can be between 450 and say 800 words it doesn't take too long you put it out there you get an immediate response you know what resonates you know what doesn't um and you can have something that that does incredibly well and and is retweeted and reposted and gets a lot of comments and then the next one might not the next one might not hit it um and, you know, you get a feel for what works and what doesn't. Sometimes you have no idea. Sometimes it's it's really surprising, the the pieces that I, I really work on and think are brilliant, and this is going to be, you know, the, the one that goes really viral, just kind of sink almost without a trace, and then I'll just write something in 20 minutes, and people love it, and, it, and you know, it's getting... Dozens or hundreds of, of retweets, um, but the difference between that and writing a book is that when you're writing a book, there's no response, there's nothing. You're sitting, you know, for months and months writing something, and you have no idea how it's going to be received, and then you put it out into the world, um, and so it's so much scarier. And so when the responses start coming in for that, it's actually so much more gratifying because you've taken a big risk and you've spent so much of your time, and and you um, just hope you just hope it's, it's going to hit. You know, you hope it's going to resonate with people. Um, so, I, yeah.
0: And how do you feel? You're revealing quite personal details about yourself, even even though you can withhold. Like, I understand you can withhold some things if you don't want to share them in your books. Um, but how how do you feel the your audience? responds to that as well when you, you're you talking about your marriage and your um, housework and, yes. and things like that, that like you're putting yourself out there. Oh,
1: quite yeah. A bit. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a very, it's a tricky line to walk. I've always been really careful about what I reveal. And I guess for me, my guiding principle, and I know everybody's different and, and there's lots of people who, who think differently. But for me, I will write about my life and my experiences and my feelings, but I try to be incredibly mindful of not compromising anyone else's privacy. So, you know, I've got three kids and my first book was about marriage and motherhood. And I can tell you um, that even after writing that book and, and writing parenting columns for years and years and years, I don't think anyone would be able to pick my three kids out of a lineup. You know, I don't use their names. I don't write their personal traumas or or private challenges. I just sort of write the, you know, the the funny, relatable kind of general experiences of being a parent. I've written about grief because I lost my sister, but I don't write about her as a person, or even how she died. I wrote about marriage and then divorce, but without revealing why we got divorced or or personal details about my ex husband. I wrote a book about dating, um, and funnily enough. You know, I was really careful in the book to disguise the identities of, of anyone, you know, who I use kind of as a story, yeah. but nobody ever, ever recognized themselves, though a couple of times a man that I had dated would say, oh, was that, you know, Jeff character? That was me, right? And I'm like, actually, no, <laughs> that wasn't you at all. You you were someone else. Um, Good work. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I'm very careful, but to relate to your question, Pete, I think readers often are fine with that, but but they generally... There, there'll always be someone who wants to know more. So I, I get emails and, you know, quite intrusive questions. Oh, you know, people no. will say, oh, why, you know, why did you split up or or what happened then or, or um, you know, wanting to know more. And then a lot of readers will send me their own stories, which I love. Like, that's mm. great. So I get a lot of responses that are, you know, thank you for writing that, whether it's about housework or whether it's about dating, whether it's about parenting. You know, I had this situation and they'll tell me, a lot of really personal details about their life. I think, to a lot of people, I think a writer that they can relate to is almost—it's almost like a confessional.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, they feel
1: safe in in telling me their their you know personal stories, and and they are safe because I am not going to repeat them. Um, they go you know into a a little file on my computer. Um, so there is a sense of when when something you write resonates with people. And the thing that I find most interesting is that any experience I've had, no matter how unique it feels to me there is always someone and usually multiple people who can relate to it so none of our experiences are actually unique we're all just going through various versions of the same kind of life experiences
0: so true when I was looking at your list of books I was like oh we've had done so many of the same things because um it's just a natural part of life that there's sometimes there's a marriage breakup or sometimes you're dating as, as an adult in, in middle age and those yes. sorts of things. I'm like, oh, okay, I can relate to this lady. So going back to when you first started writing, what was the motivation for you um, submitting, say, to the heckler? what What Were you, were you wanting to launch a writing career or... or
1: Oh no, I didn't I it, it wasn't that um wasn't that purposeful. None of my career's been that purposeful. Um it was no it was really just a case of I I'd always loved to write. I wrote at school. I loved studying English. I actually went to uni and started a degree in English and linguistics and then for some reason that I still am not sure about, I kind of freaked out after 2 years and decided it wasn't vocational enough mm. and I transferred to social work and I ended up doing a degree in social work and I worked as a social worker for a few years. I don't think I was great at it. Um, I think I was very young and really didn't know what I was doing. It's I didn't have the life
3: experience. Yeah, back. it's
1: so challenging. I didn't have the life experience to be counselling people, I think, at that time. And then I moved into various other um, work in human resources and recruitment. And then after I had my son, so my first child, I just I thought I was going to stay home with him for a while and after a few months... I kind of got restless and I went back to uni and I finished my degree. Um, I finished my original BA in English and Linguistics and I loved it. Like I loved that. That was just such a privilege. And um, and then I just was right. I always wrote. I wrote journals. Um, I wrote, you know, little ridiculous poems. I loved to write. And I had an idea. I remember just reading the heckler thinking, oh, I could write something. And I remember the first heckler was a funny piece called Sleep is a New Sex <laughs> and it was basically about how new mothers crave sleep, like we used to crave sex. Yes. Um, and you talk about it. You know, oh, I had such a good one last night. You know, I was up and down all night. Um, oh, it was so satisfying. I slept for eight hours. So it really was just a question of, oh, I've got something to say. I love reading the heckler. I'll send something off. And then I had lots of other ideas and I kept sending them. And I was actually approached uh, to write for a community paper. And I thought, oh, people like my work. And I. Did you know I had um, quite a few years of just writing these columns for, I said, the community paper, and then um, a, a parenting magazine here and, and one in New Zealand that just happened to see me, and then I gave it all up, as I said. And then it was really just a question of, oh, Twitter looks interesting, and it kind of took off from there. The only real plan I've had in terms of writing was I'd always wanted, <laughs> sounds silly, I'd always wanted to be a columnist for Sunday Life magazine. Um, which is the magazine attached to Sydney Morning Herald, Melbourne mm. Age. I l- loved it, loved reading it, loved the work in it. And that was always a, like a pipe dream of mine. And I'd started off my career uh, writing a bit for Mama Mia. And I remember Mia saying to me, Mia Friedman saying to me, you know, if you ever want to be a columnist, it really helps to have a book. And so I thought, oh, I'll write a book. And... I wrote my first book and then I realised that I loved writing books and, and so the others sort of came just because of the love of writing books. But I'd always wanted to be a columnist for Sunday Life and when I got the call saying, oh, would you like to be a columnist, that was just, that to me, amazing. that was a pinnacle. It was amazing and I still get a kick out of it. And But nothing else was planned. I just, I'm, I'm not a very good planner. I think I just kind of stumble my th- way through and and um, write because I love to write and I was a really bad social worker.
0: You're, you're <laughs> so I like no my spirit skills. sister. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> but it's nice. I so want to be organized and, and yeah. I do try really hard. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, but also all these writers, I'm I'm sure you've interviewed many who, you know, every day they get up at a certain hour and they, you know, do their whatever, 500 words or their 1,000 words and they've got plans for their next books. I've always just written when I can or when I have an idea, don't really think terribly far ahead and always think that my my latest idea is my last. I'm always surprised that I have another idea. I'm, I'm just like, oh, no, I've said everything I want to say and then, you know, a week later or two weeks later or a month later, oh, I might say this now too.
0: <laughs> and how do you in terms of writing a column, you need to have an opinion. Yes. Do you yes. ever feel like you shouldn't say something that you're thinking or do you just let it all out and see oh. what happens?
1: Oh, wow. You know, to be, yeah, to be a, a columnist, you do need a strong opinion. You need a strong thesis. And the one thing I've always been is very opinionated. Um, that can be problematic in some areas of my life. You know, like when I'm meeting my girlfriends and we're talking about something, I'm like, oh, well, I know what to do. You know, this is my idea. Like sometimes I feel like I'm a little too opinionated in that area. But it really works for being a writer.
0: Yeah,
1: I've made some mistakes. I'm I'm not going to mention which ones because I don't want people looking them up. But there's been... One or two times over the years when I was asked to write something by an editor and I wanted to please the editor and and agreed to write something about a topic that I really shouldn't have been writing about, that I just wasn't, you know, didn't have either expertise in or didn't have a well-formed enough opinion. And so I, and then you, know, you, you just realize when it comes out that you, you don't know. It just wasn't either, it wasn't a strong enough thesis or people are calling you out on basically on, on, you know, not really knowing what you're talking about. It's only happened a couple of times, but it really left a big impression on me. And mm-hmm. so I have in the past turned down work, um, not infrequently when, you know, I'm in the very fortunate position where editors will sometimes contact me and say, hey, Kerry, would you like to write about such and such? You know, you know, or they'll say, do you have an opinion on, on say, this this thing that's happened in the media or this person that's that's making news? And if I don't feel... I know enough about the area or that I don't have something worth saying, then I'll say no, which is hard because it's paid work. But when I do have an opinion, no, I must say I I don't really feel, oh, I should hold back um, if it's something that I feel I know a bit about and that I have a strong opinion. But I try very, very hard to think both sides through before I start to write. And I always try to imagine whatever my perspective is, I try to imagine how people would argue with me so you know whoever like people are going to come with the opposite point of view so I try to anticipate what that is and I guess write the that argument into my column so I sort of address any potential critique or criticism into the column um, so that I can address it before it actually comes out um, in you know in, embed the imposing argument into it um, in anticipation so that's what I try to do but You know, you never know. Like, there have been things that I've written that I think are are pretty innocuous and not very controversial, and people would just jump on it. I remember once writing a column about how I hated playing board games. (laughs) Because I do. I hate playing board games. And when you've got kids and they want to play board games, and I just can't stand it. And I thought it was just such a. And like a fluff piece, and I got so badly trolled by people saying, "You don't know what you're talking about. Board games are the best, and you don't know what the good board games are, and and you should try this. And what would you know?" And it was just brutal, and people were so fired up, and I just hadn't seen that coming. So there's always something that's going to surprise you.
0: So you need um, but to have I, a yeah. thick skin.
1: Yes, and and I I do. I do. And the only times I really get upset is when I realize I've messed up. Right, And, you know, with that column, with the board games column, I probably did mess up because I was referring to, you know, a, a limited range of board games and I, it, I hadn't made it clear that I had played a wider range because I didn't realize how strongly people would feel about it. And I felt silly because people were then saying to me, oh, but you haven't tried X, Y, and Z. And it was like, I have, but I just didn't write about it. So I, I, get, I get annoyed at myself when I feel like, like I've – You know, missed something. I haven't made the point properly. Um, But in general, I I understand that whatever I write, there'll be even if there's like ninety nine percent of people writing to me saying, "Oh my god, I love this! You made me laugh. This is hilarious!" Or yes, this really resonates. Or I agree. There'll always be be someone, and sometimes many people, who disagree. And you've just you can't take all the praise and have people you know jumping into your inbox saying oh, i love your work without accepting that there will be people who can't stand it yes
0: mm-hmm. i must admit i fired off an article to mama mia last week without really thinking it through um and they didn't respond so i'm relieved <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. But um, just in – it was in comment uh, regarding um, children with special needs because I have two sons with special needs. Yes. Yeah. And um, I, I realised in my work I can't really comment on um, political things. So so my day job, I shouldn't really be writing things in comment right. to politics. And I'm not really sure if I could handle anybody telling me they didn't like it either. <laughs> Yeah, it's, so um, it's maybe because it's too personal, but yeah, I was kind of relieved. So thank you, Mamma Mia, for not reading me. You know?
1: <laughs> oh, you know what's going to happen now? Like they'll they'll email you like tomorrow and say, "Oh, we want to run that piece."
0: Oh, uh, it's not not current anymore, so okay, well, it should be fine. But um, yeah. yeah, but I think it yeah, definitely in my case, I need to think through what I'm writing and what impact it will have once I send it out into the world.
1: Um, yeah. And it can be hard to do that. As I said, you, you think you you can anticipate everything, but there'll always be surprises. And the one thing that I know for sure is that the pieces that I don't expect to do really well will do really well. And the ones that I think are just, I'm making some incredible point will often not resonate the way that I think they should have. And so I know that I'm going to be constantly surprised. And I also know for sure that there will always be people who don't like it, even if even if it's one person who takes offence. Sometimes people willfully misread something you've written. Yeah. Um, I remember when when I got COVID um, about six or seven weeks ago, uh, my daughter, my my youngest, who's fourteen, had come home from school with COVID. Uh, she was quite sick for a couple of days, and then I caught it. And I fired off a tweet as a joke, which was, you know, oh, like. I've been looking after my daughter who's got covid now i've got covid and i'm supposed to look after her now that i'm sick as well like is this doesn't seem fair can someone check the rules
0: who's looking after me yeah exactly I
1: <laughs> and i find that obviously it's a joke there's no rules of parenting and of course you keep looking after your kids and you know i was inundated with responses saying yes it's so hard being sick when you've got kids who's looking after mum? you know it's awful having covid and having you know having to look after a kid with covid but i was slammed by people, mostly men, who are like, Oh, you're a terrible mother, oh what you think the government should look after your kids, oh what you 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 know, you're so entitled. Yes, we should provide a nanny for you. It was wow. insane. But okay. you know, it's it's there's always going to be people who don't understand satire or don't understand your humour or just, you know, don't want to. And you have to be prepared to deal with that, unfortunately. And especially as a as a female that you know, with men, it seems to be with male writers, for the most part, people who don't like their work will, will just criticise the work. But with right. us women, it tends to be, you know, you're an idiot, you're a, you know, what do you, you know, get, you, get off, you know, get off Twitter, um, who made you a columnist, and and much worse. Hmm. Um, and you do, you, you have to have a, a thick skin, but the rewards for me of writing, uh, uh, you know, I, I love writing and as i said i'm not good at anything else so i certainly am not a good cook or or cleaner or social worker so i just got to stick with it and 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 and, yeah deal with it
0: well it looks like you're on the right track so far (laughs) i hope so And, and everybody has a talent like i i don't um how can i put it i'm amazed at the women who do have beautiful homes and do know the hacks on on what um Products to use, you yeah. know. They, I just grab something off the shelf and ho- hope that it cleans. The
1: house. Oh God, yeah, I'm the same. But I'm also amazed by women. You know, there there are writers out there who also are incredible artists, or they're mm. incredible chefs, or or you know, they've just got seven children who are all immaculate. And and I just take my hat off to them. For me, it's it's just exhausting enough writing mm. and kind of managing my household. You know, with with the kind of little bit of mess that is all around me.
0: I do recall once being out at a shopping centre, and there was a woman who she had like a child in a pram, one sort of on a leash, and one in you know, a baby bjorn in the front, and then two that were just standing, well behaved. And I was like, oh. that lady's got it made. She's like, those children are so well behaved. Wow had my two yeah. <laughs> just going crazy around me, uh, but I was genuinely in awe of that, that woman on that day because I was like, wow. Yeah, I think so, I
1: think maybe some people just even have more energy. Yes. Like, I get really tired. You know, I feel like life is quite exhausting. And, you know, after a day of doing some writing and, and you know, dealing with my kids and trying to put some, a meal on the table, maybe running to the shops, doing doing some laundry, I'm just tired. I just don't I just don't have the energy to make everything pristine and and, you know, curl my hair properly and put on a face of makeup and wear different outfits every day. I just yeah. And and for people who do have the energy I think that's fantastic. Like I applaud them. that I yeah, I'm 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 not a superwoman and I'm okay with that.
0: I, I'm a strong believer of being your best self, um, in terms of whatever your talent is. Try to be the best at it, you know. Yeah. So I know that I'm a writer, so I'm trying really hard to be the best I can be at it, even though it's all in the cracks <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> it's all squeezed in in the time that yeah. I have. Um, but that, that's just because of, of my personal circumstances. But, yeah. like, if you're wonderful at a certain thing, do it and be great at it and just... Be the best, you know. Yeah. And, I, that's, if and it helps if you house, love it as well.
1: Do it. <laughs> yeah, abs- absolutely, whatever it is. You know, people who do take great pride in their house. I mean, this book is not about, about um, you know, try, trying to convince people who, who do that and love it not to. Yeah, hmm. the book is for people who are doing it because they feel they should or because society is telling us that this is how we should be you know i've i've got friends who are incredibly neat like the the my friend who this book is dedicated to kylie you know i said to, to kylie who's a person living bravely with neatness she loves it like she loves keeping <laughs> an immaculate house she gets a great deal of pleasure from it and she's you know also incredibly productive in other areas of her life But, you know, this is for people who who don't love cleaning their house, who feel that that they need to kind of keep it a certain way because either social media or their mother-in-law or or some cleaning book tells them they, they have to. And I'm saying it's okay. Like, it's all right to drop your standards just a bit. It's okay not to be perfect. It's okay to have just a little bit of mess. Um, and it's quite liberating as well, I think, just in, in all areas of life, just to understand that we don't have to be perfect. Um, and even in writing, you know I really do, i, I I'm passionate about it, I love it, I want to make the absolute best books that I can possibly produce, I want to write the best columns. But I also know that that you know in any creative field, you have to know when to stop, like you have to be able to say enough, i've I've done my best. I've worked really hard. I've made it as funny or as moving or as beautiful or whatever as as I can, um, and now it's just time to put it out into the world. Because if we're constantly, constantly striving for perfection in our creative work, we'll never stop. You can always make it better. You can always fiddle with it. You can always edit it one more time. Um, you can always have another go at it. Um, and and you know, there's also something to be said for for making your your art, you know, doing your writing and actually putting it out into the world and and entertaining people.
0: Mm -hmm. and I think you just make yourself anxious yeah Um, if you can't leave something alone or can't decide it's time to stop you end up like a little ball of anxiety which was your other book that I was like yes Yes, lady knows who I am
1: (laughs) yes exactly and also I think it's it's really uh, when you're writing columns I think it's it's very good training for that because you know you might get a brief or you might pitch an idea to an editor and they're like right can you have it in in two hours and you just have to do it, hmm. and you have to do your best, and write it, and then say, "Okay, enough. You know, I've got to send it off now." And so it's quite—it's it, quite a skill, I think, to be able to say, "Right, I've—I've—it's it, good enough. This is this is as good as it's going to get in this time frame." Rather than, and also, I don't have the attention span to work on one book for ten years. You know, I would much rather you know write a book in a year and then move on to to something else. Hmm. Um, there's too much to write about. There's too much to think about.
0: Now, I've got some uh, quick-fire questions that I do every podcast to yep. um, just let your readers um, get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I'm going to start with, did you have a favourite book growing up?
1: Oh, God, yes. Okay, so so Pride and Prejudice is mm-hmm. probably one of my all-time favourite books. Um, but there is, in, I mean, that's, that's the classic. But there is a book called Brother of the More Famous Jack by Barbara Trepito, Not everybody has heard about it, but anyone who has read it loves it. It is just – I know that book back to front, inside out. Those characters live in my head. I feel like they're my, you know, my second family. I love that book. Um, I've reread it so many times. It's literally fallen apart, but I don't want to get a new copy because my old copy feels like home. So that's your answer.
0: And if you could go back to the beginning of your career, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I wish I'd started earlier. You know, I left – uni as I said I I, um, left my BA after two years my Bachelor of Arts because I thought it wasn't vocational enough and I went and did social work and I really wish I'd stuck with it I wish I'd done my BA and I wish I'd started writing back in my 20s I can't imagine where my career could have been I mean I I really started writing seriously um, in my 40s Mm. so I I wish I'd started earlier and, and I would that's what I would say to myself
0: I'm the same I thought oh you'll never make money as a writer so I was working in a bank and I really only started writing 2017 um yeah so I'm happy to have pushed myself as far as I am at the moment but yeah starting earlier
1: yeah wouldn't it be great if we would if we were sort of brought up to believe that it's okay to kind of pursue a creative path and and you know, I'm trying to teach my kids that as well. My daughter is studying animation at uni and... That's exciting. And yeah, and she's she's a creative and, and I really want her to put everything into that and, and follow her dreams without a backup. That doesn't mean that people don't need backup jobs, but it means that mm. if you have something that you're passionate about and that you're good at, give it a go. Give it a go.
0: And do you have any advice for other authors who are looking to write in your genre?
1: Yeah, so it... In terms of being a columnist, as I said, the important thing is to have a really strong point of view. Um, editors aren't looking for kind of for wishy-washy. They're not looking for both sides of the argument. They're looking for a really strong thesis. And also, unfortunately, as I said, be prepared to have a thick skin. Don't worry about people who disagree with you. There will always be people who disagree with you. Try to just not engage with that and just focus on the people with whom your writing resonates because they'll be... There'll be lots. And in terms of writing books, I think just I, – I speak to so many people who have a book in them. You know, I've, they've got an idea that they say, I don't have time. You don't have to have long periods of time to write. Like I literally will write for – I'll find an hour to write. Um, and then I'll have to go and do something else or, or you know, attend to something with one of the kids or do something around the house or go to an appointment and then I'll come back and write for another couple of hours in the afternoon. I might have days where I don't write at all. Like, it's a myth that you need to have, you know, a full day to write or, or uninterrupted time. Put in earplugs, put on white noise, um, write in your living room with the kids running around if you've got 15 minutes, just write whenever you can and start.
0: That's the key, isn't it? Start.
1: Start. Yeah. And one page turns into two pages and two turns into 10 and and you know it doesn't matter if it's in dribs and drabs just keep going. Just keep going.
0: Now, what book do you have on your bedside table at the moment?
1: Oh, I'm actually sitting in my bedroom at the moment. I've got God, I've got a massive pile. What's next on my list? that just reminds me of your
0: article about the bras
1: oh I've got like I've really got so many but um, let's see the one oh the one that I'm reading at the moment um, is The Echo Chamber um, which is a very very funny book um, which I'm thoroughly enjoying but I tend to mix that with Mm -hmm. non-fiction and I'm literally just walking over oh I've got got Sam Harris The Moral Landscape that's the next non-fiction that I plan to read how's that?
0: great yeah Okay, so if you could invite five writers to dinner, who would they be?
1: Oh, that's hard because I've got a lot of writer friends. <laughs> oh
0: no, they so, all want to be on the list,
1: and they'll all want to be on the list. So, oh god, should we maybe? Shall I maybe do writers that I don't know? Can I do historical figures as well? Sure I was, can. I look, I, I just Jane Austen. I would love mm. because I want to know how she managed to write all that with so little life experience. You know, she really mm. was very sheltered. And she managed to create all of these worlds um, in her head. So definitely, definitely her. Um, the Bronte sisters. Does that count as three or one? All of the Bronte sisters. Dostoevsky. <laughs> I love Dostoevsky. Oh, my God. John Irving. I'm sorry. I'm bringing someone from oh another century because I just fine. absolutely love John it's your Irving. your dinner
0: party. <laughs>
1: yep. Malcolm Gladwell um, and David Sedaris. How's that? I'm, I'm not what sure if I've gone interesting over combination. my limit.
0: Combination.
1: Yeah. It, it's and like I think...
0: a mass party at your place, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I I just actually met David Sedaris once, very briefly before a talk he gave, and he's just the funniest little man. I just love him. Um, so he could, yeah, he he could sit at the head, and he would be able to kind of manage the whole group, I think, really nicely.
0: And now I just have one final question for you: um, What's next for Kerry Sackville?
1: Oh, so I actually, amazingly enough, I have another book in the works that, if all goes to plan, will be published. Next year, um, I had a quite a, a long period of not writing anything at all and then I had two ideas, um, both of which have been picked up by publishers, which is really wonderful. Um, this next book is actually a more serious book um, and it's about the importance of solitude, about the importance of alone time. Um, I think that in um, in the current... In the world that we live with social media and constant connectivity and kind of this whole focus on being extroverted and and, um, relationships and and, um, everything's about our our interactions with other people, I think a lot of us don't spend any time with ourselves. And so that's what this next book is about, which is quite a change from a funny book about mess.
0: I think um, solitude is important and we're almost never alone with like all those people sitting with their phones in their hands scrolling through whatever platform they're on you're really not alone your your mind is with other people
1: that's exactly right it's you can be you can be physically alone but you're not actually alone with your thoughts you're you're engaged with other people and as you said you're engaged with the thoughts of other people Mm -hmm. so when we're scrolling through instagram we're literally just consuming other people's content and we're never actually sitting with ourselves and There's just, you know, I've done a lot of research on it. There's so many benefits to being alone and it's actually incredibly detrimental to never, ever spend time in conversation with yourself, Mm. um, to always be consuming content, to always be connected to other people. So, yeah, there's a lot to write about and I've actually really enjoyed it. I obviously got that idea in in COVID when when mm. people were so isolated but they still weren't isolated they were and a lot of people didn't know how to be alone like we're just not taught how to actually spend time with ourselves and how to be okay in our own company yeah. um so it's a big topic and it's been it's been really interesting i'm i'm enjoying it but um it's a lot to produce kind of two books in mm. in about god oh, it's going to be in about um a year so um i think i'll need a big break after that and to go I don't know, probably won't get to lie on a beach, but maybe just go sit on my balcony and and drink tea and and think thoughts.
0: (laughs) That's – I really – this Easter holidays, uh, we went uh, down to Melbourne and we went to the Great Ocean Road. Largely because I was craving being near the waves and having the sea air. I was – we weren't alone. We were surrounded by people over the Easter weekend. (laughs) oh we yeah went, sure. i was so shocked at how many people were actually at the 12 apostles at the same time as <laughs> I but i did get that lovely feeling of the air against my face and the sound of the waves and i was like oh i just was craving that um because yeah, it's very needed healing. to stop for a bit yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah and i think we're all exhausted after the last couple of years it's been, it's been a the lot a
0: couple of years yeah. Um, and I've been finding social media very stressful at the moment too um, because I'm growing the podcast and I'm sort of like, how do I keep on top of this? This is a lot of work to, uh, to learn yeah. how to do things and because the platforms are changing all the time and you've got to keep up with all the influences and I'm like, I need to have it just a breath.
1: Yeah, look, what <laughs> social media is like, a, it. it's it's a hungry beast that you just have to keep feeding and keep feeding and keep feeding. Mm. And it takes a lot of energy, and um, it's something that I've I've enjoyed a lot over the years at different times. But then there've been times when I thought I would really like to give it a rest. But you know, as as someone who's promoting books and, and writing columns, it, it's part of the job, and it's it can be very it can be very very draining to constantly be producing content all the mm. time. And I don't know, we'll see what happens with um, the takeover of Twitter, with Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter. If it turns into, yeah, some kind of feral cesspit, then I might just gracefully retire from that and focus on on looking at cat videos on Instagram. Mm.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Kerry. I really appreciate it. Um, And the listeners, I'm sure, have loved listening to our chat. Thank you for being on Totally Lit.
1: Oh, such great questions. It's been really fun. Thank you.
2: Writing stories for children can seem like a very simple task, but there is a skill involved in bringing memorable characters and their worlds to life. Anyone can write a picture book, but not everyone can write a picture book that becomes a child's favourite bedtime story. The best children's picture books fire up their imaginations, evoke emotion and stay within their memories forever. Authors Online was created to provide aspiring authors the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to become a published children's book author. Our extensive industry knowledge will be shared with you and provide you with the basic principles behind writing for children, picture book publishing guidelines, and updates on the current market and publishing environment. And as a special offer for Totally Lit listeners, if you go to authorsonline.com.au, you can apply the discount code of LIT20, that's lit two zero to access discount content at authorsonline.com.au
0: Now I'm super excited to kick off a new segment for you this month, Picture Book Corner. This is a segment to celebrate all things picture books. If you have a picture book launch, review or any exciting news related to picture books, give me a yell at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com and I can share it in this segment. My first guest for Picture Book Corner is the amazing Ali Steggart, children's author and Squibby Australia East Queensland Branch Assistant Regional Advisor. Alison's life is filled with laughter and smiles thanks to her funny husband Paul, two snorty dogs, Huckleberry and Fink, and three grown-up daughters. Born and raised in the US, Ali has long called Australia home. She's lucky to live in Gabby Gabby country, the beautiful Sunshine Coast. (music) Ellie Steggart, welcome to Totally Lit. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Thanks for having me. I'm very pleased to uh, speak with you.
0: I'm very eager to chat to you about Squibby Queensland. Um, can you tell me a little bit about Squibby and your role?
3: Sure. Squibby is the Australian way of expressing SCBWI, which is known as in most other parts of the world, which stands for the Society of Children, Book Writers and Illustrators. And in Australia, we see fit to call it Squibby, even though SCBWI doesn't really spell Squibby. Um, It's an international organization uh, with branches in, uh, I think it's 80 countries, the last time I checked. Um, it's got thousands of members around the world. And one of the really cool things about Squibby is no matter where you are in the world, you're welcome to join in any of their activities. And this has really taken on a new uh, dimension now that we're doing so much online these days. I think before everybody started Zooming and Skyping, um, you know, it was It was, you know, if you were traveling, you could call into your, you know, London branch of, you know, Squibby. But now, you know, you can join a meeting anytime you're willing to be awake, which is um, really exciting. But on a local level, um, we have a a Queensland branch of Squibby that has um, uh, sub-branches on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, and far north Queensland. And um, we have members obviously all around the state, and we try to get together for face-to-face meetings a few times a year, and also offer some online uh, opportunities as well.
0: And and what is your role within Squibby
3: Queensland? Um, my uh, role is officially called Assistant Regional Advisor, and so or ARA, which right. basically right. means that I'm the State director. So I, I, you know, think up the ideas of stuff that we are going to do together and, you know, coordinate things and basically do the administration and mail outs and, um, you know, and just try to uh, direct people to answers if they have any questions. Right. Okay.
0: So I'll, yeah. I'll start off by saying thank you for all the work that you do because um, it's really supporting. Uh, authors like myself, um, I was lucky enough um, last year to attend the session uh, that Squibby Queensland set up for. It was the bibliotherapy uh, workshop. Um, and there was an opportunity there to submit to EK books and um, that's resulted in a, um, a contract for me, which is very exciting. So my first picture book's coming out March 2023. Um, but that opportunity was created by the work that you do, Ali. So, so
3: thank you. <laughs> I uh, have pleasure and I love I love hearing stories like that because you know it's um it's definitely about equipping authors but also providing opportunities when we can. And it's not an easy industry to break into as I'm sure you're aware and um and probably have experienced and so these these chances to meet with publishers are, are gold, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and um the learning opportunities as well is fantastic because um, sometimes it's so hard to know where to start when you when you decide. Okay, I'm going to write a picture book. It's it's not as easy as just jotting something out and sending it off like it's um, it's an art, and learning how to do yeah. that is um, really you're borrowing the experience from those people that have gone ahead of you um, and. It involves the generosity of those people who've gone ahead of you to share that with everyone else. So um, It's a great community to be part of.
3: It's nice too. I think there's so much um, collective experience and expertise and skills within Squibby. Um, and it's really nice to, to, you know, to be able to draw on that. But I like to, I like, I get a real buzz out of making opportunities for people to to share as well as mm. to learn, you know, and I think uh, that, that can be a tricky thing that, you know, in this industry, like I said, there's so many people have so much experience and so much, um, you know, life knowledge and professional knowledge to share. Um, sometimes it, you know, the the magic ticket is is having a, a book <laughs> but there's a lot of people who you know haven't quite got the book to show yet but still have a lot of experience that's that's worth while to people and so i'm always looking for opportunities for those people
0: and is there squibby branches right across australia so in each state
3: yes there are so um in australia's broken into um, two regions. So we have Australia East slash New Zealand, and we have Australia West, which is basically Western Australia. And I think that's, you know, it's the typical, you know, problem we have here in Australia with, you know, the tyranny of distance. It's just hard for people in Western Australia to participate in things on the East Coast because of the, you know, travel expenses. So the Scooby, you know, divided us into. Um, two regions, and um, but yes, there are um, uh, branches uh, or sub branches in every state.
0: And so, for our listeners that uh, may not be in Queensland, there, there is their own branch that they can find. Um, is the, there is there just one Australian website for Squibby?
3: There is, um, but the, the probably the. The fail-proof way to find it is to go to squibby.org, which is the international hub for, for Squibby, and um, it has a tab on the menu that says Regions, and if you go to that, scroll through the American states, and then it has um, International Regions, Australia East, I think is at the top of the list. If you click on that, it takes you straight to the um, Australian website. Mm-hmm. But the Australian website is australiaeastnz.squibby.org, dot dot um, so it's you know it's, that's a little bit longer to remember, and there's lots of letters to mess up. So I always I always go through squibby.org, and I find that that's the easiest way to to get there. I'll, I'll pop some links
0: in the show notes for everyone so they can easily find where they need to go. Um, so for a, an emerging author or a, somebody starting out, what would be the benefits to them to, to taking out a membership with Squiby?
3: Um I think that the, the Squibby's biggest draw card is something I've mentioned already, and that's the international reach. Um, so it's, it's, Equipping you on a local level, but also giving you, um, you know, a big, a big, you know, vision, a big um, swimming pool to swim around in. Um, So that's that's your biggest uh, advantage of Squibby, I think. Um, But there's there are uh, local um, and when I say local, I mean Australian uh, critique groups that you can join. So people might like to join the picture book group, group for example, and you get um, placed in an a online group, um, you know, where people work together on their, on their writing. And, um, and it can be, you know, a real, I know a lot of um, really great friendships have um, uh, come through that. Um, I used to moderate the, the middle grade group. That was before I took on the leadership of Queensland, um, and uh, I made some wonderful friends uh, through doing that. And it's just such an incredible way to grow. I guess everybody knows the value of um, critique groups uh, as a as a tool. You know, you get mm. to learn to see your writing in a different way, and people can point out things that you're doing that you're not aware of. Um, you know, uh, blind spots. You know, I help you identify. Spots encourage you. You know, uh, it's you know, it's it's great having that. And then you know, there's the regional um, meetings, so mm-hmm. you get to meet people face to face or or online. Um, and national conferences, uh, we've got one um, coming up in June. That's not uh, strictly a Squibby conference. It's the CBCA national conference, but mm-hmm. Squibby is doing. Um, some contributions to that um, which should be really fun. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure of, of joining a national event yet um, so I'm really looking forward to it. The pandemic has kind of uh, wreaked havoc with all of that. Mm.
0: How did you find connecting with um, your Squibby members during COVID? Did you Did you find... Um, people interacted online in the same way they had been um, previously when when it was
3: face-to-face it, it's actually been interesting like um, um, now instead of just having like let's take the bibliotherapy symposium that we ran last year that you know when I originally pitched that idea to Suzanne Jouvet who's the regional advisor for Australia East New Zealand um, she's like, yes that sounds wonderful um, and but it was originally going to be a you know a queensland event uh, in a you know brick and mortar kind of um, establishment and you know like I'd imagined at a university or something like that and um, it the digital aspect of it really changed the shape of it mm. but it was it was interesting because we had people from all over Australia uh, attending and that was exciting. And then we had a guest speaker, you know, who would be Anuska Jones from New Zealand. Uh, she, you know, she, I had to record her event because she was um, busy on that, on that particular day. But, but it was nice to be able to, you know, involve an editor that otherwise wouldn't have been able to participate you Mm. know been a live event i you know we probably couldn't have had a um yeah um, okay yeah which so that really
0: opens up the world a bit doesn't
3: it yeah it does so it's been i think it's really been interesting and nobody expected it and we all moaned at first about oh i'm zoomed out you know but um It's interesting. I I noticed with Squibby and with a a lot of other organizations that they're they're pivoting to to keep, even though now we're you know allowed to um, have face to face meetings, um, most people that I'm aware of are keeping a digital element because it just broadens your reach so much. Um, You know, and it means that now the local thing is about the you know camaraderie and the mm. you know and you're you know finding your tribe and having people to you know to actually hang out with and you know support each other's book launches and um, that kind of thing.
0: Now I was looking at the Squibby website and I saw some exciting competitions on there um, in collaboration with Laracan House. Can you tell me a
3: little bit about those? Um, I think that's going to be a really um, fun opportunity uh, for Squibby members. They can um, now. This is a national event, so I don't mm-hmm. have my fingers in the in the the planning of that. Um, so uh, it's probably best for people to go to the website and get the details in case I um, get it get it wrong. Mm-hmm. But they have until I believe it's July to put together a, um, a picture book, and then there'll be a, a competitive element um, for uh, pitching your uh, picture book idea to Larrikin uh, with a possible um, publication—that's uh, a great opportunity. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it should. I'm really looking forward to that. I've got, I've got something in there. Sorry, my dog is snoring. If
1: uh, oh,
0: get-
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wonder if I should make him leave the room.
0: <laughs> oh, no, that is completely fine. Um, is is that? Um, one of the dogs that's pictured on your website.
3: Yes, that's Huckleberry. He's, oh. he's he's the thirty-two kilo Stafford.
0: <laughs> he's living living his best life, having a snooze on a Friday
3: <laughs> under my under my writing desk. Yes,
0: <laughs> hello, Huckleberry. <laughs> um, um, so I'd also like to move on to a little bit about you, Ali. Um, you um, have an exciting book coming out this year and also a book launch on the 21st of May. Would you like to tell me a bit about your book?
3: I'd love to. My, I've got my debut picture book coming out um, from Redback Publishing. It's a uh, book called Boogie Woogie Bird, and it's um, for children aged about four to seven. And it's about a lovely, clumsy curlew. And he, as if you know curlews, bushstone curlews, they are those birds that scream at night time. We have them here, yes. I know. <laughs> And they're fascinating birds. Um, um, but in my story, curlews shrieking frazzles his friends and they beg him to try fancy dancing instead of shrieking all night to woo a mate. And so they send him to the bush's best birdie dancers to teach him how to dance. But his legs are too long, his knees are too knocky, and he can't find his groove. Um, And so this is a story about how Curlew finds his groove. And it's illustrated by my um, very dear friend, Sandra Savagnini, and I feel incredibly, uh, incredibly blessed to have her partnering on this project because she's the most wonderful illustrator. Her background is botanical illustration, so she she's very detailed, mm. but she she still was able to make curlews so endearing and so cute that he, she t- completely changed my feeling about curlews. I used to be find them quite creepy yes I (laughs) I find them a bit scary (laughs) they they, they do some uh, unusual behaviors
0: especially if you come across them at night in your headlights and they put their arms up
3: yes that's their wings (laughs) yes that's called mantling and it's like a Dracula cape.
0: Make <laughs> and so
3: <self> big. Uh, <laughs> it's very creepy. Um, um, but they're doing that to protect their babies, mm. basically, or their nest. And um, yeah. So anyway, that's my. That's a little bit about my story. And we're doing a launch uh, on the twenty first of May, which is a Saturday at eleven at where the wild things are in West End, and it's a disco party uh, book launch
0: exciting that's
3: <laughs> yeah, so great you're supposed to wear something sparkly and bring your disco kids <laughs> ah, my
0: big my boys are too big but I will bring myself and wear oh, something good. sparkly I'll book in a ticket
3: oh, and then we can meet face to face that would be so nice that would be so nice <laughs> um I'm, I'm hoping there will be children there because I'm going to be very silly and um and If I don't have children in the audience, um, I'll probably be very self-conscious. It is
0: interesting um, because I go to book launch events and and don't have any kids to take in tow anymore because my Mm -hmm. boys are big. And I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. I think I've just got to find my inner child for this. Yeah.
3: (laughs) It's fun. I've picked a sparkly dress. I, um, I bought... My um outfit. Thinking of my four-year-old fans. Uh, so, the, if there are any four-year-olds there, they will be thrilled with my sparkly dress. Everybody else will think I'm tacky.
0: Oh no, no, I think um, <laughs> I'm a girl who loves a bit of sparkle, so I'll, I'll be, oh, I'll be sparkly with you. Um, and all, oh, I'll, I'll do a shout out to all the. Um, Brisbane authors out there, if they want to come along and support you um, at your launch. Um, And just um, on you, um, did you want to tell me a little bit about your um, how you got started in writing?
3: Yeah, um, I've been um, following this dream of creating children's books since 2009, and um, I don't have a lot of books to show for it. In fact, this is my first one for for 12 coming on 13 years of of, um, of writing, but I do have lots of friends that I've acquired along the way, and I feel incredibly blessed um, by that. I, I have loved being a part of the writing community in, in Brisbane. It's wonderful. It's vibrant. It's accepting. It's um, it's just so much fun, and they're just the best people in the world. Um, I've I've done a lot of the things that you know writer people do: um, attend conferences and enter competitions and um, all of that stuff. and um, and through the years, I've um, had lots of rejections, um, but I feel like that's been my training ground. And um, it's forced me to work really hard um, and to keep improving. And I know I still have a lot of improvement to go, but um, I'm having fun while I'm doing it.
0: It um, You do need to build a little bit of resilience in this industry yeah. in terms of... Yeah. Um, dealing with rejection um I've just been recently I, I attended Kid Lit Vic last weekend which was an amazing experience it was one wonderful to connect with other creatives and people in the industry but it also was a little bit it was hard work doing the pitching and not taking anything personally um <laughs> Yeah, especially yeah. when you're sort of revealing all your, your little stories that you've created that are close to your heart and, and sort of walking away going, oh, nobody really liked
3: those. <laughs> <What> <laughs> do do? It's tough and I, and, and I don't think it ever stops um, feeling that way. I mean, even I've heard people who have lots of books say the same thing, that it still stings, you know, so, oh, yeah, it's tricky. <laughs>
0: Um, it's lucky though the the rejections are always so kind like um yeah. That, yeah. that it's like oh this they they give you positives about it but also oh it's not right for me it's like oh no <laughs> yeah
3: mind. yeah um
0: and can you yeah. tell me a little bit about the remarkables
3: yeah, I'd love to. Um so The Remarkables is probably my big breakthrough and that is um the result of a competition that I entered. Um Chicken House is my dream publisher and they're located in the UK and every year they do a competition called the Times Chicken House Prize. And it is a uh, a very um lucrative prize the winner is uh of the of the times chicken house prize gets a ten pound advance publishing contract with chicken house and um offer of literary uh, representation and so i've i had entered this many times (laughs) I i i can't remember exactly i was trying to work it out the other day how many times but anyway i'd never got across the line before um but last year uh, around this time, I'd finished writing The Remarkables, which is about a. Uh, it, it has st- elements of STEM in it. I'll tell you about what it's about in a moment, but it has elements of STEM in it. And um, I saw that Chicken House was offering two prizes in 2021, and it was their normal one and an identical prize package for another one that's called the Chicken House. Slash IET 150 Prize and IET is the Institution of Engineering Technology in the UK and it was their 150th anniversary and one of their goals was to promote uh, engineering to young women and so they wanted to they wanted to um, make a a, a a literary prize. Um, of a book that celebrates engineering and um, non-traditional fields for young women. Uh, And when I saw that, I was like, oh, golly, you know, I'd like to I really wanted to keep working on the on the manuscript, but I was like, I don't know if they'll ever offer that prize again. So I think I'll I'll put it in, even though I'm not 100 percent comfortable that it's ready Mm. Uh, because the book stars a. Uh, a girl in eighteen eighty nine London, who is an aspiring engineer, and of course in that era that was not something that young women did. And um, she's an inventress, and uh, I just thought it was a good fit, so I put it in. And guess what? I won. <laughs> I That's won the amazing. I, yeah, I won the IET prize, and um, and so it's so it's just so exciting to be with this publisher that I've dreamed of for so long persistence pays off yeah it does yeah yeah it does um and so uh, in the in the probably this month we will begin editing that and it's supposed to come out April 2023
0: oh that's so exciting
3: yeah so it's it's a great problem
0: theme would be quite popular as well
3: I think so it's you know it's girl empowerment there's elements of stem stem stands for science tech technology engineering, and maths and so um it has elements of that and um and it, Queen Victoria has a cameo in it and um it's, it's a really fun story. I'm so excited to get to work on it with um, such a wonderful editor and publisher. Oh, can I tell you something interesting about the um, publisher? Yes. Um, Chicken House is owned by a guy named, well, the managing director of Chicken House is a man named Barry Cunningham. Mm. And he's, he's known for the fact that he was the editor who finally signed jk rowling for harry potter oh
0: that's exciting
3: yeah yeah that's
0: definitely someone to um be aligned with for your book
3: yeah isn't that nice and and he's one of the two editors on the project so um it's
0: Oh, maybe Something. I'm actually speaking to the next J.K. Rowling at the moment. Uh, I, don't
3: <laughs> I don't think so, but um, but I hope I hope that people like um, Winifred Weatherby, the star of the Remarkables. I'm already thinking film
0: rights for you. <laughs> 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 that would be amazing. Uh,
3: well, it's a little bit like uh, Enola Holmes. Did you see okay. the series?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'll
3: on Netflix, it's it's kind of got that vibe.
0: Oh, amazing! I wish I could think of wonderful ideas like that. Maybe one day. Sure <laughs> so you do. I'm sure you do. Uh, I think the key is taking action when you have an idea. Like um, the real work is involved in the actual writing of the Yeah, <laughs> yeah
3: that's right. I mean, like I, I. I, I initially had the idea for that character Winifred back in 2015 Um, and I wrote the first kind of scene of that and it was the first time I've ever had a character just kind of jump off the page and say you need to write me (laughs) and then I, I kind of put it in a notebook for a while and just tried to figure out how I could give her a platform. You know, give her a story mm. because she mm. was just you know, she had a voice from the start and and um and so I, you know, it took me a while to kind of work out what I wanted to do, but um but eventually I made her a unwilling spy in Queen Victoria's League of Remarkable Young Ladies. Which is also it known as very the
0: exciting book. I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to being able to read that when it's in print.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks.
0: Um, so thank you very much, Ali, for joining me today and sharing um, Squibby with our listeners and, and your own work, of course. Um, mm-hmm. People can come to your launch on the 21st of May. I'll pop some info on my um socials and on the show notes um and just uh one last uh squibby mention what is the next event um that squibby
3: queensland is holding um we are having a media um our next event will be sorry for stumbling over that but our (laughs) next event is going to be a big event similar to our bibliotherapy symposium Mm -hmm. is going to be uh, a steam event steam stands for science technology engineering arts and maths and and how they are interlinked Mm -hmm. and so i'm currently um working out a a list of um potential guests for that but it's going to be a a large event and we will in the meantime before that happens have a, a couple of um social gatherings uh okay. in the third and fourth quarter of the year
0: fantastic and will those be on um social media and things like that for people to keep an eye Absolutely. out for
3: they totally will it's an interesting time for for me personally uh, you know as a writer with a, um, my first book coming out and just about to to begin editing my my book with uh, Chicken House. And so I decided that I had to pull back for the second quarter of this year. So um, I had the headspace to, to do what I needed to do there. So there's consequently um, no event in the second quarter of this of this year. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll have some social events in the third and fourth quarter and then a big event um, for STEAM coming up. But that, that one's in the pipeline at the moment.
0: And is there, do you think there'll be opportunities similar to the Bibliotherapy Symposium at the STEAM
3: event? Uh, Absolutely. That's what we're, we always try to organise um, opportunities as well as learning um, and presenting, um, you know, situations in in our events so so definitely watch this space
0: (laughs) amazing that will be a great opportunity um for for writers to be involved with that and um um, yeah again thank you so much for the work that you do we appreciate it
3: um and thank you for being on totally lit thanks for having me kai all the best and thank you for what you do for the uh, writing community as well
0: Uh, i love it yeah, I've been uh, really enjoyed it. Her, so Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> totally Lit is an independent podcast. You can help support us to continue to chat with wonderful Australian creatives by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the Totally Lit socials with your friends. You can also make a contribution at www.buymeacoffee.com backslash totallylit. For those of you who know me i'm kind of a caffeine addict so you can keep me fueled with caffeine and this will also help with equipment and podcasting platform fees etc i love to interact with our listeners so feel free to say hello either by email or social media you can email me at totallylitpodcast at gmail.com or find me on facebook under totally Lit podcast and on instagram i've also recently created a group on Facebook called Totally Lit Writing Community. It's a space to continue the conversation and share your writing successes, events, launches and latest projects. Jump onto the group and say hello. And just in case you haven't had enough of my voice, I'm excited to share that I'm working on a new podcast project with my partner in crime, also known as award-winning children's author Michelle Worthington. Mother of a Podcast is coming to the airwaves soon. We've released two episodes you can check out Um, one of those is with the amazing comedian jenny winter it is a podcast for neurodiverse mothers of neurodiverse children to feel seen and heard and to build a community with compassion and support you can jump onto facebook and follow our page mother of a podcast to keep up to date with our latest news and episode release dates thank you for listening to totally lit and don't forget to go out into the world to read write create ignite